was just the one I watched. I've only been watching the uh, Patient, Steve uh, Carell. I'm What's still that watching on? Grimm. That's on Hulu. No, where's working? Oh watch yeah, Grimm? yeah. Uh, you can watch Grimm on Prime. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth it just for Grimm. Uh, it's not. It is. Uh, the Expanse is on Prime. You, yeah. Do you like? Do you like the Patient? Oh, it's fantastic. It looks interesting. Wow, it's really good. Right. It's only 20 well, 30 minute episodes, so it's not like it's super difficult to get into. Yeah. You want to get this show on the road? Yep, yep. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, it's going pretty good, Kev. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good. That's good. Lots That's good. Uh, going on at work. Lots going on at home. Uh, lots going on everywhere. So many television shows to keep up on. It's that time of the year, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. Like we were I mean, just talking. There's... We were just saying the patient was good. Yeah, the patient. She Hulk uh, coming out every week. The new season of Westworld's been Westworld. pretty good. Westworld, yes. Um, yeah. Dahmer, that new one with Evan Peters on Netflix, also very good. I it I'm sure it is good, but Dahmer himself, the anything about that is just. Well, I, I don't so know if bad. you saw what was going on. Uh, with the whole Netflix tag, did as an LGBTQ. Um, I'm sorry, category. what? Well, Dahmer himself was a homosexual. He just also happened to be a serial killer. Did you not know Who? that? No, I just knew he ate people. Uh, yeah, yeah, that came later. Um, pretty sure. <coughs> it starts off pretty interesting. I'm not going to spoil it for you because it is a really good show. In uh, me and the wife cannot stop watching. Uh, along with She-Hulk, along with The Patient, House of the Dragon. Yeah, House the, of the Dragon, She-Hulk. We've been watching those. The Rings of Power. I haven't watched that yet. I've watched a couple episodes. I'm I'm a few behind on that one, but that's because there's just way too much to keep up. up, up I would on. say, out of all the fantasy, I'm just not a token fiend. Like, I like it. It's good. I can live but, uh, without it, but I. Yeah, I, I want to see it just to say that I've seen it, and then I can. I mean, it looks like it's well produced, so yeah, I'll give it a shot. I tried doing some research on this scandal that's rocking the chess world. I don't know if you've heard this. Have you heard this? No. Yeah. No, I haven't. Not a bit of a left turn for us, but apparently there was a so there's an up and comer um, American player called uh, his name is Hans Neiman. Or Nyman, I don't really know how to pronounce. I'm assuming Nyman. He is moving up the charts. He's been moving up the charts rating-wise. His ELO rating um, has been like skyrocketing for the last year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And he faced off against the um, world champion, who's been the world champion for almost ten years, I think, since 2013. Okay. His name is Magnus Carlsen. He's a Norwegian. I do know Magnus Carlsen. He is like the end-all be-all of, of chess because he has the highest rating, yellow rating ever, of 2882. Currently, I think he's only 2856. So he's obviously lost that 2882 at some point. But I guess what people were saying that he... Hans Neiman cheated to beat Magnus Carlsen in a match. And after reading everything, I'm not I'm not really certain what the hell's going on. Uh, it's real difficult to follow. So I guess the whole reason it became a viral thing outside of the chess world is because mm-hmm. 
Howard Stern or somebody or Joe Rogan or somebody said that Hans Neiman used an anal bead controller. Someone was feeding him the information on the match. That sounds like a fucking joke. Uh, I mean, that does sound like a joke. However, they were trying to determine the ways that he could have cheated, if he did cheat. So I looked it all up. Hans Neiman has cheated before, but he's never cheated on an OTB, or at least he's never been caught cheating on an OTB match. OTB Mm -hmm. being on the board instead of an online match. Chess.com basically canceled his uh, account or banned him from competing in tournaments on on their uh, platform. Some other things that happened looked like they changed the way the format works. The FIDE, which I don't know what it stands for, but it's the governing body of chess, I guess. Changed up how their tur- tournaments are secure. Basically, they stopped doing live streams. They're doing a 15-minute delay so that no one can sit there and feed someone answers from somewhere else. Okay, that uh, makes sense. Then there was a streamer who pays attention to chess almost religiously. He said that if you put the uh, you put the moves that Hans Neiman came up with together against Magnus Carlsen, he follows mm-hmm. an uh, an 100% uh, algorithm uh, chess.com uses or something to that effect. Okay. So he matches 100% consistency with that algorithm and how it would determine its moves, which they say doesn't has never happened before. Although nobody's ever really probably paid attention at all, so I, I don't believe that shit for a second. I know this all sounds really boring, but apparently it is like the scandal of the century because Magnus Carlsen's apparently throwing a tantrum and saying without evidence that Hans Niemann cheated and he will no longer ever play against him. I think what he's afraid of is that someone actually is able to kick his ass and he felt stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds yeah. like he's having he's throwing a temper tantrum. I'm not I'm not a fan of chess as a sport. I think it's it's the professional equivalent of I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. Yeah, basically, it's like um, it's like in football when uh, the other team refuses to play. That's called uh, when called when Tom Brady quit. Or yeah, when he, quit when he cheated, he cheated. Deflate gate kind of thing. Except that was easier to that was easier to determine what was going on. So. Anyway, that was some interesting stories for us that I thought was kind of dumb. Because it sounds like they're just trying to trash talk this up-and-comer. Kind of I mean, feels like a spite on America, to tell you the truth. If he's cheated already, you know? Yeah, but he cheated when he was 14 or 15 oh, or okay. something. Yeah, that makes a difference. It's like It's crazy. been... He's only 19 right now, but he's never been caught cheating in an actual tournament setting. Like, Give him, give him a break. He was a teenager. Right. Kids grow up. They're chilling. He doesn't want that baby. to screw his entire career. Because if he gets screwed now, he'll never play chess again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, we've got an interesting one today. Today's Fanspiracy Theory. Uh, we have a good one. It is The Hunger Games. Wow. The Hunger Games. So I, I decided to take something slightly depressing and graphic and just, you know, run with it. 
because why are why do we have to ruin something that's already supposed to be that way? You know what I mean? I mean you know what I'm saying, son? If you're going to ruin stuff, you might as well go full bore. Yeah, and maybe there, there'll be a bonus one at the end for those who are paying attention. The Hunger Games. There's a couple of different uh, fan theories that uh, I'm going to go over. Uh, the big one will come at the end. That one is about what the Hunger Games were originally. Like, why they were created in the first place. And it has nothing to do with it being a dominance thing so that the cap the capital lets everybody know, guess what? We own you. You've got to do this or we'll kill you. Kind of bullshit. It's very interesting. But we'll get to that one. We're going to start with a couple of small ones, and then we're going to work our way up into some really good ones. Are you ready? I am ready. Well, sir. Strap in. Strap in your ear holes. I will strap on my ears. Oh, I'm quick break. Quick comic book break here. Uh, I heard a little birdie told me Deadpool 3, when it comes out, mm-hmm. we'll have Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Oh, yeah. My uh, my buddy just uh, sent me a message about that. Yeah, yeah. So Hugh Jackman is going to hang up his claws after this one. But he wanted to make one more and have it be part of the actual MCU. Just, just say, like, get get into the MCU and then just leave. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Very weird. But he's going to do it. And, and he needs the money, you know. Yeah, he needs the money. Jesus Christ. All right, let's get into this. All right, number one. Remember Foxface? Uh, character I Fox? remember that name. Uh, so Foxface was, uh, I want to say from like District 5 or something. And she was really, really good at hiding. Uh, and that's basically how she planned on winning, was by hiding. Uh, however, this particular user on Reddit, uh, user CircleManFan, weird name, bro. Weird name. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, actually thinks that Foxface ended her own life, that she wasn't stupid enough to eat those berries. So let's get into what he has to say. Uh, During the training montage scene in the Hunger Games movie, you can see that Foxface is using some kind of program that tests her skills to identify plants, animals, so flora and fauna, essentially. They deliberately include that in this movie to show that she definitely has knowledge of berries and their effects. So she's getting it like, she's like going super fast. Do you remember this clip? So in the clip, she's she's basically got a board in front of her, and it's asking her to identify and match uh, flora and fauna. But she's going super fast with it. Like so fast that it, I don't think we would be able to do it that fast. Not that I'm saying that's a guy thing over a girl thing. I'm just saying... I don't know how to identify berries and plants. Now as was well it as her. as correct, or was it just fast? No, it was it was correct. I assume that it would have given her a big red X, like on Family Feud, if she had gotten it incorrect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so she was doing it super fast. So they deliberately showed us this clip at the beginning, which I didn't never never thought about. And then comes the reason why it appeared as an honest mistake. Foxface knew what would happen if she blatantly committed suicide. It would look like defiance to the capital and her family would be killed. She's She decided to end it this way to make sure no one would think she was trying to outsmart anybody. 
So I think what probably what he's probably alluding to is the fact that it started to get lower and lower the count of um, people that were still left, and she realized that at some point she was going to have to either end her own life or face off against her opponents. Yeah, kill or be killed. It was well, suicide or be killed. It didn't seem like she was going to be able to win because she probably kept up on what was happening throughout the tournament as Katniss was reaching the edge of the game, uh, the game board, the game area, arena, uh, whatever the hell they called it. Uh, The game makers made sure that she made her way back into the middle, so they forced her. So she probably knew that if she kept trying to hide the whole time, eventually the game makers were going to get sick and tired and she wouldn't be good television, so they were going to either find a way to force her back in and be killed or kill kill her themselves, because apparently that's a thing, if you remember from the books. Uh, I do remember that from the books. Yeah, apparently it happened quite often that some people were killed by the game makers because they went off track. So, I mean, that kind of tracks a little bit although it makes a degree of sense yeah i wouldn't like clearly her her life i'm thinking her life was just really really bad back in district five so she was like fuck it i just kill myself with these berries well i mean like remember district one was basically <laughs> like sorry red for war well districts one and two were the uh, what did they call them? I don't know. I don't even remember I what they called the them. Term for it, but they were they were trained specifically for violence. Yeah, they basically had a school that they go to to train themselves for the games, and then on their 18th birthday, they would volunteer. So yes. they yeah. so anyone else beyond that either didn't care for the capital or was just being used. It was ridiculous. That's Foxface for you. Uh, there's another one that I like about Thresh. You remember how easy it seemed that Thresh died, even though he was probably the biggest competitor out there and was probably uh, very strong? Yes. Do you remember Thresh? Thresh was from... Thresh was the District 11 big black guy who yes. yeah, uh, basically killed the um, person who was about to kill Katniss. With the knives. Kill, he killed that uh, District 2 girl. This one comes from a Cora user, Evie Smith. So Thresh wasn't killed by Kato. He was killed by a lightning strike from the Game Makers. So those Game Makers still getting everybody out there. So this could have been done for a few reasons. One of which, because he spared Katniss at the feast, which they were hoping for better television. They were hoping for probably a beatdown of the highest order. With her face, like, bashed in and shit. And the game makers felt that District 11 and District 12 were getting too close and they needed to break that up. So, they, um, they, it also looked like Thresh was uh, probably able to take Kato out during their fight, and the game makers obviously didn't want that. So we didn't see how Kato and Thresh fought against each other, but we can bet the game makers preferred a champion from a career district. Careers, that's what they were called. Careers. They basically say that Thresh was killed by the game makers because dun, 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 dun. oh oh here's one that comes that uh, goes in with uh, Stargate. Okay. Remember, do you remember the name of the mountain 
that they were in? Uh, it's it's oh fuck, I can't remember the name of the mountain now. It's where NORAD is. Yeah, Cheyenne Mountain. Cheyenne Mountain, yes. Yeah, Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado, I think. I believe. I believe that is Colorado, yeah. Uh, so, these some people seem to think, at least this particular Corey user, Lynn Woods, uh, believes that she's discovered the geographical context for Pen M. She believes okay. that the military base inside the mountain in District 2, which they call the Nut, is actually Cheyenne Mountain, which would make... So she thinks it's probably the capital is in somewhere in California or on the Pacific coast. And then it makes its way uh, through to uh, Nevada, Arizona, somewhere in there, and that's where District 1 is. And then District 2 is somewhere in Colorado, and then it makes its way all the way to Districts 12 and 13. My guess no. is that District 13 is somewhere in New England, possibly somewhere in uh, far eastern New York. No, that 12 is uh, like Appalachia? And or, 12 uh, is somewhere mining. in the Appalachian Mountain range, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would be very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, there's also some people... Uh, Reddit user specifically, Capricious Salmon, that's a good name, <laughs> nice, uh, believes nice. that the world beyond Pen M is actually perfectly fine. <clears throat> um, well, maybe. I, it's, I mean, it's possible. I think it's I unlikely. Don't, I think that Pen M is actually most of North America. I, I, I would agree with that. It seems like it would be a, a post-apocalyptic like North America. Yeah. Um, now this reminds me of a comic book I'm reading now called undiscovered country. It's in a world where, uh, America, uh, expelled all foreign diplomats, built a huge ass wall completely around itself and all radio contact, all sensors, everything completely unable to read what's going on in the country. Nothing comes out, nothing goes in. So sort of like um, The Handmaid's Tale, where they switched it uh, to... Actually, way worse than that, because like Handmaid's Tale, it's still like uh, the rest of the world is still, you know, trying to deal with Gilead. There is like uh, an America left to like try and, you know, negotiate with them. This is... it. U.S. totally drops off the map. Okay. There's just a giant, giant void. It's still there, but nobody can get in, nobody can get out. There's no way to tell what's going on in there, and they don't communicate. Um, so they've basically cut the rest of the world off from themselves and become a self-sufficient nation doing yeah. weird, reclusive shit. Oh, it's it's uh, like bubba-bazonkers, baby. What's this called? That's crazy. Yeah. Undiscovered country. I'm going to have to look that one up. If you ever get a chance, watch a movie called Confederate States of America. It's yeah, a, that I think is it's a comedy. A, oh, okay, it's a comedy. I, I'm thinking movie. Of different um, it, author. It, there's a series of books I read where it supposed if uh, the Confederacy won instead yeah. of the Union. This one's this one's a comedy, and it's um, it it deter it says what ends up happening to America in the event that the Confederate States had won instead of. Uh, the union. It's um, it's pretty funny. It's 
kind of stereotypical racism, but it's done in a satirical way, so that's probably fine, right? I don't know. I mean, satirism is supposed to break down everything. If you can't joke about everything, you can't joke about anything is the idea. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's interesting. So I, to, to take a small clip out of it, I remember uh, what would happen. America wouldn't have chosen um, the Allied powers. It would have chosen the Axis powers, and it would have tipped the balance in the Axis powers' favor during World War II. Uh, okay. Uh, no, so it's, it's also similar to the man in the high tower. <laughs> where yeah. America loses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, Europe would have been run by the Nazis. Uh, Asia was would have been run by uh, the Empire of Japan. North America would have been run by the United States or the Confederate States of America, something like that. So, very interesting. Anyway, so the world beyond Pan Am is actually fine, according to user Capricious Salmon, and I quote. One thing I did question is how the rest of the world is functioning. It's like Panem, where they have their own problems, is Panem the last vestige of humanity? In Divergent, civilization goes uh, does exist beyond Chicago, just isn't as glamorous as life in Chicago. In Attack on Titan, the world beyond the walls is just fine. The walls, hundreds of years, obsolete. 1984 questions this, same applies to The Handmaid's Tale. As the North America or the world might have a fertility problem, but the rest of the world is relatively fine. I say this because I doubt Katniss ever questioned it. She has to provide for a starving sister and a depressed mom. Has better things to worry about than the existentialism of soap. Meanwhile, she wasn't a stellar student. Since she had to hunt, she's good at problem solving and identifying plants. One way you control your population is education. Maybe it was like The Handmaid's Tale in some kind of catastrophic event, whether it happened or did happen, but not on the magnitude they thought. Maybe it could have been a literal famine, which is why Pan Am comes from bread and circuses. Since the capital gave food to citizens, and they didn't question the rule, as they were too hungry to, so it went on for a few generations until full people questioned stuff and the war began, the capital destroyed the rebellion, and the Hunger Games started. Well, it's it's kind of like um, the movie Blast from the Past. Have you seen that one? I'm sorry. That's the one with Brendan Fraser and Alicia Silverstone. That's right. And Christopher Walken. Yes. Yes, I it, um, just watched that the other day. It's on Hulu. It is. And that's... I, I'm just so happy that it is, I love, like... I mean, everything accessible. Brendan Fraser's in is amazing. Uh, but it, it entails uh, a world where... You know, the same thing happened with the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, nothing ultimately happened. Um, but, uh, you know, his his family, his father was like an inventor, scientist. Uh, who he was, was one of those know, nuts during the Cold War who was worried about bombs being dropped. So he built him his own bomb shelter. Yeah, and it just so happens that like a, a plane goes down right on top of their house. Uh, right during the the middle of uh, the the Cuban Missile Crisis, so uh, they think you know the worst has happened. The bombs dropped. There's an explosion. So there's clearly something bad has happened. Um, but really, 
Like they, it was just, you know, a plane dropped on their particular house. Yep. Exactly. Um, and then their bomb, his bomb shelter was stuck on a timer. So the lock wouldn't open for 30 years. And Brendan Fraser's character was basically born in there and raised up until he was 30. Or was it 30? I thought it was 30. I think it was 30. Yeah. So he's 30 and he comes out and he's living in 1960s America, but it's 1990s America and he doesn't really know any better and he runs into Alicia Silverstone and then there was a romantic comedy from there on. Yeah, it's, it's a decent movie. It's a great movie. This is in no way bad-mouthing it because Brendan Fraser is starting to become an internet meme at the levels of Keanu Reeves. Well, I mean, he's a, just a... A gem. He's a darling of a man. I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. He's a darling of a man. Oh, yeah. If you haven't watched like any of the stuff he's done, he's great. He's a great actor. Start with but The Mummy like, and just go from there. The Mummy. Watch Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol is so good. Oh, also watch Doom Patrol. Watch George of the Jungle. Blast from the Past. I mean, that Looney Tunes back in action. Go for it. Just just yeah, for him. It has its moments, you know? Yeah, just for him. Do it for Do it for the whale. Uh, I did hear that there is a petition from some fans of Brendan Fraser to push him into the MCU somehow. Oh, I would love that. Uh, guess which character they want him to play. Or which superhero, I should say, they want oh, him to play. Which hero could he play? Uh, Wonder Man? I'm not familiar with Wonder Man. I'm sure if I, I looked him up, I might it might jog my memory. Wonder Man. No, definitely not Wonder Man. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two more guesses. Not Wonder Man. I was trying to pull them up. Mm. Uh, what about uh, Doc Samson? Uh, no, no, it's not Doc Samson. No. You got Doc one more. Samson. Not Doc Samson. Mm. What the hell are his powers? He's like a gamma radiated, so he's got like super strength, and he's a, a therapist. So you know, there's wow. that. Okay. What we got, man? What we got? Oh, uh, let's see. And it's a hero. It's not a villain. It's a hero. Uh, right? Yes, for the most part, it's a hero. For the most part? It depends on his mood. Oh, God. There's so many. All right. You got five seconds. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, uh, all right. I need one. Uh, throw, uh, throw a random one out there, man. Speedball. What? There's a character called Speedball. Never heard of him. It's not Speedball. Okay. Uh, there is uh, some people who think that after him having done his Whale and Doom Patrol, and the fact that Warner Brothers canceled, uh, he was supposed to be in Warner Brothers some, uh, something else. Um, that he should play the Sentry. Okay. Um, I, I can maybe see that. I think the reason being is because the Sentry is supposed to be tormented. Doesn't he have some sort of psychological disorder? Yeah, he, um, he has, like, uh, like serious, like, personality issues, which ultimately ends up with, uh, him creating his own like villain uh the void oh is yes actually just him 
Yeah, they think because of antagonizing his, himself. his fantastic um, um, foray into the whale gives him that edge that he'd be able to play both the void and the century if given the chance. And uh, I can't say I can't argue with them. I mean, the Sentry is a pretty powerful being, isn't he? Uh, yes, he is supposedly on the same um, power level as like Superman. Yeah, he's like he, he's he, like the same. He's like the Superman of. Although, aren't there several characters who are like? The, the there are several characters that would be like in that ballpark. I would say he's the closest analogy to Superman in the Marvel universe. Yeah, so he's a he's pretty hardcore. Very good. So just some fun stuff there with Brendan Fraser because we love him. We absolutely love him. Uh, let's go on to another one here. There is a Reddit user by the name of the Martian Manhunter. Uh, who believes that the Hunger Games takes place in a world where Britain won the Revolutionary War. Bit crazy. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? So, the, yeah, my brain Reddit, shorted out. Reddit user Martian Manhunter, uh, the Martian Manhunter, I should say. It takes place in a world where Britain won the Revolutionary War. Uh, okay. I, so here's a quote from him. Uh, it has been noted by Suzanne Collins that Pan Am, the setting of the Hunger Games trilogy, occurs in North America many years from the present day. Uh, quick side note. There are, were 13 colonies originally in uh, the U.S., and then there are 13 districts pre-end of war. Okay, but there are 13 districts, and there's a capital. And a capital, yes. Uh, now, so imagine for an, now imagine, for instance, that Britain won. What would they do? Would they decimate all 13 of the colonies? No. Come on. They take out, uh, sorry, they would take out the signers of the Declaration of Independence, right. strike fear into the hearts of the remaining 12 colonies, and how? Yes. By destroying one of them. So Britain would take out the colony making the least amount of money, likely Georgia, at least according to him, which being the furthest south and thus farthest away from the capital, in quotation marks, geographically matches up with District 13. And to keep installing fear into these rebellious colonies, here we enter the Hunger Games. So what he thinks is happening is that Britain, having just gone through a large war with rebellious colonists, set up a small center of command to regulate the colonies, and they destroyed one of them after the rebellion was over. So he does. I mean... he thinks what probably happened was that I, although it doesn't quite make sense technologically-wise when you think of the advancement to the technology that's in the Hunger Games, I would pose to him that that's a possibility that uh, Britain, in fact, did win the Revolutionary War. They kept expanding, uh, and then they just kept sp just breaking up 13 colonies. Um, and just redistricting them, hence the districts. And then, after having done that, they create a new capital. And this takes place over a century, maybe century and a half, somewhere in there. And then we get to a point in the history where nuclear weapons obviously exist. 
and what could have happened was a devastating war between Penem, or whatever it was calling itself at the time, and Europe. So there could have been a world war of some sort. And in fact, nuclear weapons ended up being used and all that jazz. And then Pan Am just rose from the ashes. And then, you know, it goes on the timeline towards uh, where we are now, which is probably 200 years in the future from where we are at the present moment. Wouldn't you agree? I think that's pretty decent. I mean, it seems... Overly complicated. plausible, but overly complicated. Okay, yeah, it's a, it's an overly complex one. Overly complex. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, and fortunately, most of the time, the simplest answer is usually correct. I would say, it to me, it seems more like a civil war situation where you had two like strong uh, forces or maybe like one big force versus a small technologically advanced force, kind of like what you we're seeing, you know, right now in uh, Russia versus Ukraine and Ukraine is holding its ground rather well against actually, the they've country started that's much larger. Last, last I checked, they were actually pushing back. Uh, yeah. Regaining yeah, so. ground. It happened within like two weeks. They regained nearly 40% of what they lost. Right, Russia mean, had a complete it, breakdown in lines, and it's like, oh, well, what the hell happened? It, it just shows the power of like coordination and proper use of technology. Yeah, it also doesn't so hurt. So I think that. something like that could have happened. It uh, also doesn't hurt to say that they have allies, whereas Russia has won. And the most that China is going to do for them is keep them fed. Even though... I think the weirdest thing for me is like there's zero talk in the Hunger Games about anything outside of Pan Am. That like literally nothing. Doesn't really... I mean, that doesn't really... The only the only persons, person and or persons who would talk about it are capital people. Right. Specifically those in the upper levels of the party. Uh, people like Snow. Uh, people like... I wouldn't well, say like, the game makers, but I would say Snow's advisors or his advisory council. The, the commander of 13 <coughs> and uh, the game maker that's allied with them is... Uh, they, they don't mention anything at all about any of that. There, you see, that still makes perfect sense. So the only way I see anyone talking about it is the capital. And I so mean, like, let's assume not, let's assume it doesn't that it is. seem like this is a multi generational like thing going on. But I guess I don't know. Maybe nope. that's wrong because they, the they're on games, what seventy five. Yeah, they were the on seventy seventy five by the time Hunger Games finally ended. And before that, there were probably century, a century or two of uh, history between the capital and the districts. So let's assume Pan Am in total is 200 years, 300 years, probably the same age that America is right now. Somewhere in that vicinity. Over generations... Uh, removing education, especially from the poorer districts, 
Um, even though District 13 itself is not poor, it wouldn't be too difficult to cut them off from educational tools. Yeah, maybe uh, this speaks more towards like um, colonialism. Like uh, these, this, these districts sound more like vassal states than truly like subservient lower states. And they seem to have at least some degree of latitude for themselves. Sort of, yeah. Sort of. Um, but where I was, where I was going with it was that they they essentially cut off education for several generations uh, after whatever devastating event happened that caused Penem just to come out of nowhere. Uh, assuming that this isn't just some world where the United States never existed, Canada never existed, and Pan Am just sort of grew on its own. That we're just throwing out the window. We're assuming there was a devastating. Or it could be a planet, you know, that's not even Earth. Yes, one hundred percent possible. We're assuming that at some point uh, the United States and/or Canada existed, and. They just de-educated the entire population over the course of several generations. And the only people who know are the Big Brother types. So this is almost exactly like 1984. So they basically cut off all of that. So why would anybody in their right mind think about the outside world when they did all they know is they can what's barely around survive. them? Yeah. yeah. I get it. So it's a very... A very George Orwell-esque kind of thing. Uh, yeah, those were all the good ones. Let's get to the one that I was most curious about. About what the games are for exactly. This comes from a Reddit user, Burn Notice Lover. Shout out, I do love the Burn Notice. It's a very okay. good show. Bruce Campbell. I couldn't get into that one. Why? It was great. I don't know. It just didn't catch with me it's weird so the hunger games were not created as a punishment and or propaganda tool but as a way to gauge each district's strengths and to establish countermeasures for the capital where necessary to avoid another rebellion so president snow not being an idiot although obviously the this this wasn't started by him he may have been alive since before it started. Um, but he knew that this method of ruling was bound to cause a rebellion of some kind eventually, especially with District 13 just sitting there lying in wait. As any dictator would tell you, the only people you need to keep happy are the ones you're most afraid of. So how does Snow decide who he fears most? Easy. Every year he rounds up a smattering of kids from each district drops them into a controlled environment so that the capital military can see exactly which districts are a threat to the established order. Who's giving their children combat training, survival training? How would the average members of each district population fare in battle? It would be incredibly easy to get this vital information just by watching the games every year. So in my theory, District 1 and 2 don't dominate the games because they're treated well. They're treated well because they dominate the games. Snow realized he needed to keep them happy because he constantly watched their fighters kick everyone's ass. Okay. This but one, very for the other districts, like, they're picked at random. It's a lottery. 
is a lottery. So, I mean... They could literally get some douche who didn't care to learn anything from, like, the people around them. Or, like, who was too weak to, like, engage in any of that. (laughs) I think... I think what he's trying to go here for is he's hoping, or at least... So, uh, here's what he's trying to get to. And I realize I'm, I'm reiterating myself here. He's trying to get to that the original creation was in order to uh, determine who, uh, which districts were the ones to be afraid of and which districts were the ones to be unafraid of. They decided to put them all together and they were hoping that what would happen is that there would be volunteers at the beginning. Because I imagine what what happened originally is there were a bunch of kids who were like older, who had gone, who had seen battle, and they didn't want this to happen to their smaller children, and they were willing to sacrifice themselves because they were all stirred up for rebellion war, that they volunteered to do this, to prevent it from happening to the smaller children. I mean, so I they, feel like maybe at first. During, like, the first couple hundred games. Yeah, the first ten or so. That sounds potentially right. But, like, they make it clear (laughs) that the the capital is, like, constantly spying on them. Like, throughout the non-Hunger Game portions of the books. Yeah. And, like, so if they're constantly spying on them, they know. They know what they're capable of. They know, like, what they're doing. So, I I don't know. I I don't think I agree with this one 100%. I think, and you call me wrong here if I'm if I'm wrong. I think that he may be correct, and I think he may that may be the reason District Twelve. I think he just got a little bit of it wrong. I think that may be the reason that District Twelve is so poor. Uh, District Twelve may have been like the big competitor at the beginning of everything. Because that's probably where the rebellion started. Uh, in dis- in District Twelve, because it was so far from the capital, it was easy to get away with it. That because we don't know, they say that only two people or three people from District Twelve have ever won the games, but that's probably because they made it as as hard as possible for District 12 to win so that they would become demoralized. I think that's probably why why it happened. And that's why... Well, I one, think that's why 1 and 2 are heavily favored. Because they, they need some cannon fodder. Because they know Rebellion's always going to come from that side. And uh, obviously, if they keep the ones who are before... Uh, I mean, by that same effect, if they go too far with that, then they have no reason not to rebel. I I think that's that's pretty. He was on track, and then he lost me at the end. But I think that gets a little bit more on track. I think it might be a good concept for the early days of the. I would really, NM. I would really love for Suzanne Collins to go in depth and do a pre-Hunger Games Hunger Game book. Yeah, I'd read that. I would totally read I that. Like I'd also games. read an early snow 
like early into his reign kind of thing where he was more diabolical. Um, I think she could like go deep into the to the lore as it is. And I oh, think yeah. she could do like like fully adult books and they would be great. Oh yeah, it'd be awesome. I'd be all over that. Yeah, for sure. That would speak uh, to me. Uh, the snow one especially would, would speak to me quite highly. I'd like to see him in his prime as opposed to when he's 80-something years old and dying of whatever, tuberculosis or some shit. <laughs> they never found out what he was actually dying from, but he was dying from something. And the only thing I, I would can think guess of is tuberculosis. Some, but it's got to be like super tuberculosis, right? Like unincurable super tuberculosis. Like yeah. hepatitis and AIDS had a baby and it became super tuberculosis. Because they literally can cure anything. And like you rub cream on you. Oh my God, I had a, a bone deep cut and now it's gone. Uh, I burned myself. Third degree burns. Here, rub some cream on it. Oh my god, it's gone in a night. That's amazing. They literally had to have super super AIDS of some sort because there's just like nothing they couldn't cure. Anyway, aside from my rant, that would be a real cool (laughs) one. Yeah. Let's go into some bonus footage here. Uh... I was reading another Ferris Bueller's Day Off conspiracy the other day. Another one? Yes. Okay. Uh, All right. I don't believe we mentioned it when we did our Ferris Bueller's Day Off the other, uh, the other a couple weeks ago. Uh, Ferris, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, is actually living in a Groundhog Day type situation. He's reliving the same day countless times over and over again. But we only get to see the best one. When he got everything right. So picture it like you're playing uh, your favorite video game. And you do everything perfect all the way through. So uh, the biggest piece of evidence for this theory is how Ferris Bueller was able to plan for all possible contingencies. To make sure that his plan would work. The reason every gambit he made worked was because he had the trial and error opportunity. In order to perfect his day. So this theory also justifies his live-in-the-moment, no-care-for-consequences attitude. His fixation on getting married to Sloane is another sign that he's desperate for this romance to have some kind of meaning, because in his case, he's been in a relationship with Sloane for possibly decades. We have no idea how long he's been trapped. Um, Also, his constant fourth-wall breaking was a sign that the strain of the time loop that his of his uh, sorry the strain of the t- this time loop had left on his brain it's deluded him into thinking he had a constant audience that he could explain all of his thoughts to because he's so disassociated with this reality he thinks he's living in some sort of television <laughs> tv show uh the camera was essentially his imaginary friend a result of some of the trauma of reliving the same day over and over uh, this theory is even supported by some of the dialogue, like the moment where he looked into the camera and said, this is the bit where Cameron goes berserk. Oh, shit. Best of all, at the end of the movie, when his parents come home and he's in bed, they ask him how he ended up so perfect. And his response? Years of practice. 
Wow, man. Wow. I just have to say, uh, Prava. Reddit, Reddit user Dun Candy. That was like Chef's Kiss right there. That was so well thought out. Now we have to analyze it. <laughs> <laughs> it really does make sense. He's so disassociated with reality after straining for so long to cope with the fact that he's the only one who knows he's living in a time loop over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, that's Here's how he... a more depressing answer. What's that? Uh, that there's only so much stuff that exists and can happen in the world. And... Uh, well, we know. already went through this last time. This was... We already had that existentialist bullshit. Oh, okay. All right. Man... Man, man, that you live over and over and over and over again. Eventually, you know everything, and that's just God. All that shit. Anyway, um, <clears throat> it really does make sense. Like, think about it. He knew Cameron wasn't actually sick, and he knew what he was gonna say. So he called him up and said, "You're not dying." After he said he was dying to no one. So at some point during his loop, he probably made his way over. And Cameron would just say, I'm dying in his in response to everything. Um, I mean the whole Sloan yeah, thing time. The whole Sloan thing doesn't really make sense though. Like after decades, don't you think you'd get bored with that one girl? Although, when you think about it, maybe after decades of, of chasing after all the the other girls and leaving Sloan to the side, he's like I want a meaningful relationship now. And he goes right back to Sloan. And he wants it to mean something, so he asks if she'll marry him. Okay. All right, done, Candy. <laughs> well played. Well played. Interesting, for sure. I don't... Th I do think that the only thing that surprised him in that entire movie was the fact that the car went flying. He never saw that one coming. That was like the only thing he didn't see coming. Hell, maybe that, after that happened, he broke the loop. I don't know. What, what do you think? The loop, man, the loop. <laughs> I, I think time, time loop is an interesting concept. Uh, I think more than not, if someone were to be trapped in a time loop, that it would be just incapable of um, maintaining their sanity. I think eventually, yeah. I mean, you do exactly what Bill Murray did. You find a way to occupy yourself by learning new skills. Uh, well, I think you you would see a lot of what he does in that movie where he just kills himself over and over and over trying to just make it end. I think that's very similar to the grieving process, the five stages of grief. Uh, that was his depression. And then he eventually got over it and accepted it. Uh, he had his anger. He had his depression. Well, the five stages of grief. That doesn't uh, matter. It's, it, it, here's another grief, time loop movie that everyone needs to slightly watch. Slightly smaller grief. Palm Springs. Palm Springs. It's yes, a, a yeah. It's a brand new one. It's on Hulu. It is 
Andy Samberg, and I can't remember the woman's name, but essentially Andy Samberg gets trapped in a, in a loop in Palm Springs for a wedding. And he just sort of lives it for a long time. But what is better about this movie is that it doesn't like start from the very first time that he is in the loop. He's been in the loop for a long time at the point that the movie starts. Oh, and the, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, yeah. And then he accidentally gets the uh, girl trapped in the loop with him. And then we see what she goes through for her first few loops round. So I like that movie. It's definitely one to catch. But uh, I think that's, uh, I think we did it. I think that's everything on the agenda. Hooray. So we did it. Hooray. Hooray. All right. Well, uh, catch us again for another Fanspiracy Theory whenever you can. Uh, Comic Book Friday. And catch us as we go through The Expanse. Next episode being uh, Season 1, Episode 3. All right, everybody. Uh, We wish you seven days to rock and stone. Seven days to rock and stone, Guardians. Later. Bye-bye.